Let's continue and this morning go into the Acts and chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 as we continue on the church. Last week we saw the ears of the church. And I tell you, the church was listening to some things. And that church in the book of Acts in chapter 11, we heard, uh, we saw, we read that they were listening for certain things. And what kind of things were they listening for in that church? Were they listening for gossip? Where they were listening for, does anybody remember? Listening for, they were hearing about something happening. What did they hear about happening? Does anybody remember? They heard what? The repentance of the Grecians, yes. And so they were hearing about people repenting and getting saved. And that church got excited when they heard about people getting saved. You, we all hear information from Christians, okay? I put Christians in quotations. When's the last time a Christian told you about somebody getting saved, right? That's good gossip. All the rest of it's unnecessary information, okay? And we want to be people who spread good news and let good news in our ears. Look in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. The Bible says, and when they had, and what does the Bible say? Ordained elders in every church. And had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord, on whom they believed. And after that, they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Persia, they went down to Altilia. And thence they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended by the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. And when they were come together, it says, they had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. There was a beautiful time of fellowship happening in this passage. But look back in verse 23. And when they had, they had done what? Ordained them elders in how many churches? Every church needs an elder. Every church needs a leader. And they did it. And they established the leaders. And God was pleased. And I tell you, when it comes to a local church and going to a local church, there are a lot of options, are they not? There's a lot of options. Uh, there's a broad array of doctrines. And there are many denominations. And there are many styles of worship that are used in local churches. The Bible says in our text, they had ordained them... Elders in every city. And we're going to see some things this morning about what makes a church biblical. And we want to look for some biblical qualities in a local church. And we want to aspire to have them in our church. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us this morning. That we might hear your word. And that you might inspire our hearts to follow it. Lord, be with every heart in the room. Unite our hearts to fear your name, as your word says. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Look, we've all been at the, on a search at one point or another. And at, at some point, we're going to ask ourselves this question. What makes a church biblical? What makes a church biblical? I mean, everybody's got an opinion on that subject. I've got an opinion. You've got an opinion. Everybody online's got an opinion. Okay? There's a lot of opinions about what makes a church biblical. There's a lot of variety in churches. It's kind of like a salad of churches, Right? I mean, and people just kind of pick one they like, right? And we go to one we like. Uh, you ever been on a quest for a local church? And I remember when I was at a local church, I had been there about uh, 10, 15 years. And the church um, had gone from 600 
to 500 to 400 to about 200. And it was just kind of on that spiral and it was running off of old steam, old steam. And there was no fresh fire. There was no fresh fire in the pulpit. And I got discouraged. And I remember our Spanish pastor showed up. He had fire. And you know what? When I read about the old prophets, they had fire. And I went with the preacher that had fire. And right down the road, that church started the Spanish church. And we went down there. And us hueros, some of us white people, we helped the, we learned Spanish, and we helped start that Spanish church. And I was there for about three years helping start that church before I went to Bible college. It was the most, some of the most exciting years of my life, helping a work get established. And I tell you, there was a lot of growing pains that happened there. There was a lot of ups and downs. There was high days of over 100, low days of 30. I mean, it just was up and down because that's what happens in a church plant. You're up and down for a while until you grow stability, get stability. And then, by the way, once you reach stability, we are tempted to go into a Laodicean mindset where we backslide and we just are kind of comfortable and content that now we've grown. And so uh, those mentalities and those philosophies continue to resurface in church. And I tell you, a biblical church has a clear vision. Our vision is very simple. To see souls saved, baptized, and discipled, and all God's people said, Amen. that's what we want, okay? I mean, you see in the book of Acts, there were people that were saved, baptized, and discipled. You see Paul writes, he goes to a town, people were saved, baptized, and discipled. That's what we want. Now, what we didn't do in our, this is an independent Baptist church, what we didn't do in our independent Baptist churches, and what most churches did not do for the last 40 years, is we didn't disciple anybody. Nobody got discipled. Discipleship is mentorship. Okay? It's where you actually sit down and we talk through the doctrines together and we come to an understanding. And look, when the guys finish discipleship, they don't have to adhere to my doctrinal viewpoint, but they have to find a doctrinal viewpoint. Okay? You understand? I let them have a little bit of liberty in some things, in some areas. Okay? That's, the goal is not for them to become Mickey Mouse. The goal is not for them to become copycat. I don't want them to be just like me. I want them to be like Jesus and so I'm just trying to help them become like Jesus. And if that means they're different than me, that's okay. I'm fine with that. But the goal in a local church ought to be discipleship. And if we be honest, if you would be honest, when's the last time you went to a church that had discipleship? Something we're trying to do here. And God's been giving us favor and grace in that area. But my friend, it's a very rare thing that a church has discipleship happening. All right? Uh, the longer you stay around... Here, it will become more clear to you that we have one simple passion to do what Jesus Christ commanded us to do in his first and final, or his final instructions before he left the earth. He said, go and baptize all nations. He said, preaching the gospel to them, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you to do, and lo, I am with you always. That was Jesus' commission, and we're just seeking to follow that. We realize Jesus is coming very soon. We're seeking to follow that, and in a simple nutshell, that is what we're seeking to do. Uh, we want to raise tr strong families, and we want to have children that love Jesus Christ. And all the parents said, Amen. Amen. That was kind of weak. We want to raise strong families, and we want to have children that love Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, we're not talking about them loving me. We're not talking about them loving somebody else. We're talking about them loving Jesus, all right? If they love Jesus, they'll automatically love his word, all right? Um, there is one essential element frequently mentioned in the book of Acts that often goes unnoticed. And much of our 
church searching today is personality driven. Personality driven. Um, it's, it's an element that is often driving that. Um, have you, uh, you, have you ever, maybe you've gone to church for a while and you've noticed something's missing, but you don't know what. And uh, sometimes the church is personality-driven, program-driven. Sometimes uh, we find a church with the service schedule or program that we like. And we avoid checking into things like, is this church striving to get other people here that are getting saved and seeking Christ? Or is this a church that's just where people are, it's just the status quo, normal Christianity, and we're just kind of sliding back? We fail to check that. We look at the externals. A lot of times we look at the externals. And when we look at the externals, we get misled, we get misguided, we get distracted, and we get, we get discouraged because we, we get disillusioned eventually with all of that. For the sake of our families, let's hear what the Word of God says. In Acts chapter 1, it says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord. They were united. It says they were with one accord. They were together. We just had the piano tuned because it went out of tune. I tell you, when an instrument goes out of tune, if the musician has a good ear, it will bother their ear. And it was bothering my wife's ear, and she says, we have to get it tuned. We found somebody that can tune it, and we got it fixed quickly because um, we want it to be in tune. The body of believers ought to be in one accord. Now, isn't that hard? If we be honest, it's hard in our marriage. It's hard in the church. It's just hard. It's hard in the family. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were united. They were together. The Bible says in Acts 2, in verse 44, They that believed were together and had all things in common. They were what? They were together. There's a sense of togetherness. It says in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. The Bible says they broke their bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. They had this unity amongst them. They were united. They decided we're going to uh, you know, not focus on these petty differences. We're going to work together. And if you have a marriage that's a happy marriage, it's because you decided to do that, all right? Decided to not focus on the petty differences. The multitude of them that believed, it says, were of one heart and one soul. Now, you think about this. Acts this is Acts chapter 4. You have thousands of believers that are saved. But the Bible says they were of how many hearts? How many hearts? They were united. Do we see that today in Christianity? No. We don't. <clears throat> we don't. And I will tell you that oftentimes the divisions that arise are perceived doctrinal differences with no desire to actually search the scriptures, okay? And, and perceived, perceived things, uh, my perception of somebody, our culture is so in touch with their emotions that we are really in danger of going extinct as a culture in America. Um, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. You say, how did all these people get in touch together? How did they all have one heart and one soul? You say, uh, I don't know how that could happen. If we be honest, we struggle with it in our own family unit. We struggle with it in our extended family. Do any of you go to your family reunion and for the last 10, 15 years, 
Everybody has been in perfect unity. I want you to lift your hand. There's no disunity in the family, in the family gatherings. Okay? No disunity. You guys, perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. Wow, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Okay? It does happen, but it is a rare thing, right? A rare thing. Unity is not because we all necessarily see everything eye to eye. It's that we choose to avoid and we choose to not get distracted by slight variations of opinion. All right? The Bible says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were, it says, with, all with one accord in Solomon's porch. They had the power of God because they were united. Is the Spirit of God divided? Is God Himself divided? God's in perfect unity with Himself. And so when you and I are in perfect unity with God, the natural result is that we get along together. That we can get along together. The unity is a necessary component. And in our text, we're going to see some things in a few moments that are going to help us, okay? Unity is a must if the Spirit of God is going to have liberty to work in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 says that God requires there be no, it says, schism in the body. No little division. Yesterday, I was on my way walking over here, and uh, I like to make videos on Saturdays and put them up on the church page. Just a little video to visit with folks. And I made a little video on my way walking over. I was so excited about walking in the snow. I was walking across the parking lot. And you know what happened. It hasn't happened to me in a long time. I did what happens usually to people who, you know, are losing their balance. All right? I got about 20 feet from my front door, and I wiped out on the pond. All right? And I wiped out so good that I had snow over my entire jacket. It was covered and caked on snow. My shoulder was in the pavement. Well, the ice, all right? It was not fun. I'm still feeling the effects of that, okay? Uh, <laughs> the shock effect. You don't like to fall, right? When you fall, when I fall, there's the after effect. Your body takes a while to recover. I'm young. I know it will recover, but it takes a while. Many of you have described for me accidents you've had with your body. It takes a while to recover. In the same way, in the spiritual body, when there's a division, when there's an uh, injury, it takes a while for there to be healing. And look, God can't add to the church if there's folks in the church that are constantly subtracting things, okay? Undermining things. Maybe you've been to a church and um, you love the church. You enjoyed the church. You said, it's a wonderful church. And then on your way walking out, somebody saw that you were so joyful and they walked up to you and they were the minister of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you, did you hear? You were so encouraged. God was blessing your heart. You got ministered to by the word of God and somebody came up and sowed a little discord. They saw you were excited, so they wanted to discourage you. It's part of being a pastor. I get to watch it happen. It's so humorous. Okay? It's so humorous. It's sad, but it's humorous, and it's predictable. And, my friend, we don't want to be part of that. It's so sad. But the petty differences are driven by personality conflicts and stubborn egos. And it's clearly grieving the Spirit of God when we allow any of that stuff to happen in our lives. Uh, we've all seen that happen in a church setting, and we don't want it to happen here. 
Without the Holy Spirit's power, Pentecost would have never happened. And I submit to you, the Holy Spirit does not come when we're not united. A biblical church is a church where the Holy Spirit is present and the people are thriving and desiring and moving forward. And look, a biblical church is a church that has fresh fruit on the trees. Okay? Who wants to go to a church that doesn't have fresh fruit? The church where nobody's been saved in 10 years. And look, it has taken, for us here, since coming to Calvary, it has taken a while because we came to a church where nobody been saved for a very, very long time and where people actually just wanted the church to be maintained status quo until they passed away. And the, the ultimate result of that will be the church that will die and close. I have a friend right now. He's a Southern Baptist, and he, he just called me, and he's such, a, such an encouragement, and he, try, he, he strives to do things in many ways, pleasing the Lord. He's been in the same church his entire life. His entire life. Parents' church, his church, the entire life. But you know what? He's watched some things happen where there's been a lack of a desire to go reach the lost. He's watched that, that his church lives in a town where there are 72,000 people that do not go to church. Get that. 72,000. The church used to run about 300. Now they run about 120. And the, there is no vision, no desire to reach somebody else for Christ. Why? Because the finances are good. Everything's okay. And it's just status quo. Keep it going. And you know what? He has been so disturbed by that for years. Because he said, when I read in the Bible, there's a little bit of a passion to reach people for Christ. And he said, I want that. And he said, I'm afraid that my church, he's up in years. He said, I'm afraid that my church is soon going to close the doors. You said there's still over 100 people coming. Yes, but he's afraid that his church will close. Why? Because he sees something's missing. There's no desire to win the loss to Christ, and it bothers him. It bothers him. He has a friend serving on staff who's going to go pastor a church just a few miles away, and that friend has a passion to see souls saved. It excites him that somebody has a passion to see souls saved, and that ought to excite you when your friend, your family member, has a passion to see souls saved. Because I'm telling you, it's rare. I've traveled the world and it is rare. It is rare where there are people who actually want to see other people saved and willing to put in the effort. When you think of what church you should attend, many questions pop into people's mind. Uh, people like a church with maybe a certain style of music. Some people like a church with a drum. Some people like a church with only a piano. Some people like a church with lively singing. Some people like a church with dead singing. Okay, I mean, people have their preferences and opinions. By the way, it's okay to laugh about that because it's true. People genuinely like that. Um, uh, some people like a church um, based simply and solely upon a particular uh, version of the Bible the church uses. Or they like to have a church that uses 750 versions of the Bible. can't figure it out. And uh, they prefer that. Some people uh, like a certain schedule. Some people like a certain style of preaching. And maybe you like a church that has a certain program for kids, youth, or maybe even for the uh, adults. A lot of churches have different programs for the adults to be involved in. People are looking for a church often with different programs. And I've found that people might say they're looking for one of these things, but the real reason you'll stay in church lies far deeper than any of these surface reasons. It lies far deeper than the schedule, the programs, and the personalities. It ought to lie far deeper than that. And we are good at the ceremony of singing, praying, giving testimony, and preaching. But sometimes we forget the importance of being right with one another in Christ-like unity. We ought to have a spirit of unity together. If you are uh, in a church where there's contention, uh, and if you're involved in contention, it will be hard to go to the next church and not repeat the contention again. 
Okay? A dog returns to his old habits. We return to our old habits. If we got in a fight the last place, we're going to struggle fighting the next place. It's just part of our nature, the way we are, and we've got to learn to deal with our own personal issues uh, instead of blaming others. Throughout Scripture, we see biblical church churches established and flourishing, and each of them have some biblical components in place. And I thank God for biblical churches. I've had a privilege to be involved in some biblical churches in my life. I've had a privilege to be involved in some unbiblical churches in my life, but I thank God that God used different components in the church. And I tell you, we ought not to just look for a personality, because personalities... Are, uh, are something that God, yes, he can use that to get somebody into the faith, but God's, God's not impressed by our personality. God is impressed by his word and that we want to seek to follow the truth of the word of God. Is it a church where you will be challenged to grow, where you will be challenged to change, where you will be convicted if you are in bitterness to repent and to get it resolved? By the way, that's an issue that's rarely dealt with and really rarely resolved in churches. And, and I tell you, the root of bitterness, if you read in, in the Bible, the root of bitterness, it says many get defiled by it. Many get defiled. And the last year in our church, we had to pull out a root of bitterness. And there was a lot of fruit hanging off that root. There was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of components. That bitterness had infected the hearts. And when you started to poke at the bitterness, because the bitterness was corrupting new people that were getting saved, the bitterness was contaminating everybody. And when you start poking at the bitterness, what happens? Either people repent and get right, or they run and take that bitterness to a church that condones the bitterness, a church that accepts the bitterness, a church that says it's okay for you to be contentious and cantankerous, and, and a church that encourages that type of behavior. And sadly, that often is the case in churches that are dying. They condone bitterness, allow it to happen. And I tell you, do you like being around bitter people? I personally don't, all right? And uh, I don't want to be bitter, but we all struggle with it, and we have to ask God to help us with it. So a church that's growing is a church that's moving forward, and it is a biblical church. And when you move forward, my friend, you're seeking the face of God. And I thank God for these young men seeking God's face and trying to do what's right. When you think of the biblical church, in verse 23, we see churches established. And I want you to see some things the scripture describes. And I'm not afraid of this word. You hear the word? Does it say pastor in the verse? What word does it use to describe the leader? Elder. That word does not scare me, but that word scares a lot of people. They say elder. Elder. Oh, no, it says elder. No, it's a biblical word. There are teaching elders and there are preaching elders. Now... There's a God-ordained leader, and in this passage, they ordained elders in, it says, every city in the churches. This is a component we have in our churches today. Some churches are being run by elders that are teaching elders, and they're not pastor elders. They're a teaching elder. That's why all they give is information from the pulpit, and nobody gets saved. It's just an information church. It's an academic church. They, they, they are gifted by God to be a teacher. That's a good thing. But they biblically should be together with a preaching elder. So that one is more evangelistic and people are getting saved. The other is teaching and edifying those who have been saved. But in our small churches, we usually get one or the other. Okay? And so you either get a teaching elder who teaches the word but does not challenge souls to be saved and grow. He's content with just giving information. 
or you get the other who's more evangelistic and also has a heart to pastor people and nurture people. And so, uh, and I think sometimes there are cases in which somebody who has genuinely been called to be an evangelist becomes a pastor. And so in our days, in our, in our churches today, because the Bible says he ordained pastors and elders and teachers, okay, and, and, and evangelists for the work of the ministry. And we have in our churches, sometimes they're being run by one of those four, and there's a component missing, okay? If we only have one pastor at the church, there is a component missing, all right? So sometimes people say, well, I'm not being fed at that church. Maybe it's because God gave that church more of a uh, pastor that's more evangelistic in his style versus a pastor who's more of a teacher style pastor. And you will notice, and uh, I have found this across the nation, I've found this traveling around the world, that a church that has a teacher pastor will have a predominantly um, older congregation with no children. A church that is more evangelistic in style will have younger people. And by the way, you've got to have a balance between the two. Okay, I'm not saying the teacher pastor is wrong. But you've got to have a balance between the two. There's got to be a vision to reach the lost. There's got to be a passion for souls. And so uh, they had a God-ordained leader. Uh, how many of you have sat through an ordination service? You've sat through an ordination service. You've watched somebody and you sat through an ordination service. A few of you have, okay? And, and if you sat through the private meeting that happened before the ordination service, um, you would thank God you didn't get asked those questions, all right? Um, ordination should never be done in a hasty fashion. But this passage says they ordained elders in how many churches? Every church. Every church got a God-ordained leader. Now, in this text, did the church choose the leader? The elders ordained other elders. You know why we have so many problems in our churches today around Christianity? Because we allow ourselves to be in a situation in which one pastor rises up, he preaches for a while, people come, they hear the word of God, he resigns. The church has no male leadership that is qualified to be a pastor. Nobody's been mentored, nobody's been discipled. So what does the church do? Put out a search committee, and whoever is the most vocal among them runs the search committee, right? Let's be honest, right? The most vocal among them. And it's their decision. That person becomes the pastor of the church at that moment. They find the new pastor that they like that won't preach on their sin. They put them in office. And they usually hold a little chain underneath them like, we'll only pay him this much, we'll do this. They do something so they can pull the string quick and so they can kick him out if they don't like him so they can put somebody else in. They are technically the pastor of that church, not the preacher. And if they don't like what he preaches, they pull the string. They either do it financially or they do it by just taking a, a quick hiatus and they all vanish for a little while and see if they can get him to leave. And so they pull the chain to see what happens, okay? They have pastored the church and they want to keep pastoring the church they won't follow any leader God gives them. And when you follow the story of somebody's life in a group of people, a congregation, where every time they get a pastor, they do the exact same trick on him, you just realize, okay, enjoy the ride. Okay, it's going to happen again. Enjoy the journey. 
Uh, here's the tricks that will get played. The chain will get pulled. Uh, we're going to try all these tricks. And if they don't work, we'll try some more tricks. Okay? That is not biblical. And that in this passage, you see the elders were appointed and put in the church. They were not voted in by the church. Okay? And so... Uh, in this passage, and in Scripture, we see that we see there's a biblical model, which is leadership appoints leadership. In the Scriptures, you see God ordained the leader and rose them up. When prophets came up and led the children of Israel, the children of Israel didn't say, "Oh, hang on a second, uh, we're in Egypt, we're in bondage, we've been here for 400 years. Um, let's see, um, who should we pick to lead us?" God sent them a leader that led them out, and they didn't want to leave. Remember that? They wanted to stay, but God let them out. God always sends the leader. You look in Scripture, the congregation never picked the leader. God picked the leader for the congregation. And so in our biblical mindset and in our churches, we actually we call ourselves biblical churches, right? But we sometimes follow an unbiblical practice in, in finding leaders. We go and find them themselves, and, and I think it is a product. It's a failure of leaders themselves to train new leaders, okay? Um, but uh, it's an unbiblical model. Uh, there's, there's many times, and I've, I've wondered this, because we have, since I've been here, there's some churches that have gone through three or four pastors, and I've only been here almost five years. Some churches have gone through three or four pastors in this local area since I've been here. And, and it's the same group of people running the church, and I'm like, why are, we, why are we playing this game? Why don't we let the local pastors comprise a board of elders, find a pastor that would work for the church, and put him in? And you know what? It probably would go a whole lot better. But instead... The local church picks whoever they want based upon personality and play the same game. The guy lasts about six months and he's gone. It's unbiblical. You understand that's not, you do not find that approach in the Bible. And it, and, it, and it really is a bad testimony to the community. And I think we've all experienced that and seen it in our lives that that happens. So it's a God-ordained leader and it is appointed, he's appointed by uh, other leaders. And you say, well, Pastor Dan, were you, were you, Voted in by the church or reappointed. I technically was actually appointed by another pastor. He recommended me and suggested that I come to this church. He knew this church and he recommended me to this church. He led the meeting in which I was voted in in this church. Okay? So in, in that technical sense, it, there was, there was a, a better type of uh, transition, which I think led for it being uh, several years where it went very stable. All right? So a God-ordained leader. Next, uh, it is an independent leader church mentality. Look in this passage. It says there are elders in every church. There's no need to be scared of this word, uh, the word elder. You see the elders are in every church and they're doing their, they're leading their local church. Um, do we all lead our homes the same way? Yes or no? No, we don't. So why do we expect every local church to do it the same way? Why do we expect every, right? There's going to be personality differences. I've attended a number of churches. I've traveled in different nations and seen different churches. And you know, every pastor did things a little bit different because he has a different personality, different gifts. He's a different person. So why do we expect everything to be exactly the same? It's our human expectation, okay? We expect it to be the same. But it's an independent local church, okay? So in the Bible, you have these independent local churches. They, every local church needs a leader 
And because every leader will be different, we need the humility to follow the leader God sends us. So a biblical local church will demonstrate a compassion and a concern to reach the lost in their own community. Notice in this passage, elders were appointed in every church. There was leaders established in every church. I'm thankful that I've had the privilege so many times to be a part of a church where good leaders had been established. And it was awesome to be a part of that church where good leaders have been established. I got to partake and, and enjoy the fellowship of that leadership, okay? Um, now, when we deal with the mission field, most of the places our missionaries are going, for example, where Daniel Bill is going right now, he is taking over a church that was started by a missionary a few years ago. The missionary fell into adultery. That church has been being led by one of the men who was discipled in that church for a while. And now he's going, he's training, he's going to take over that work. He's going to basically have to start all over again. I thank God for men who have the patience to go to a different country, learn a new culture, and put a gospel preaching church on the street right there. And Brother Daniel has a passion to do that. He understands the language. And him and his dear wife are making a commitment to go and do that. It's going to be tough for them, okay? It's not going to be cakewalk. They're walking into a situation where, yes, a local church was established. A missionary went. But sadly, that missionary fell into sin. And so now that missionary is gone. And now he is coming back. And in the next year and a half or so, he will be taking authority and leadership of that church and leading it forward. And I tell you, his personality is different than that missionary's personality. I met the both of them. They're very different. But God's going to lead. God's going to work. God has led him. And, and he is seeking. He's followed wise counsel from several other godly leaders. But... I do not expect Brother Daniel Bill to do things the same way I do it, and he does not expect me to do things the same way that he does them. There is a difference. We must accept that, that there's going to be a slight variation. There will be differences. That's why they're called independent churches and, uh, and different uh, churches. Now, you do live in a culture in which sometimes there are churches that are not independent, okay? And they're controlled by a hierarchy of people up above. The only problem is when those people deviate from the word of God, you've got a lot of trouble you deal with. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Because if the church is not governed by the word of God and people in leadership up over in the hierarchy start doing things that are unbiblical and supporting agendas that are not biblical, the whole thing starts to collapse from the inside out. And it is a very scary thing. So a church, biblically, the elders were appointed in every city. But I want you to notice, thirdly, what happened in this church. As this church was independent, the leader had been appointed by God, and they had been set up. There was now a clear dependence upon God in this church. The Bible says in verse 23, they, speaking of the apostles, had ordained the elders, okay? And it says, and had, what does it say? Prayed with what? Fasting. They commended them to the church members. What did they do? To the Lord, brother. There's some things that I can only deal with in my prayer closet. And I invite you over the next few months to help and to join with me in that. There's some things we can only deal with in prayer. We can go talk to somebody. We can go pray with people. We can go try to witness to our loved ones. We can go try to invite people to church. We can go try to encourage people. But my friend, there's some things that are only dealt with in the prayer closet. And when our prayer closet's hot and it's good, our prayer meetings publicly will be good. But if there is, and one of the reasons that I do not have a prayer meeting right now in our church on Wednesday nights is because, look, if there is sin in the camp, and there was, 
And there's, there's open sin in the camp, and there was. And open bitterness in the camp, and there was. And we're coming together to pray. And husbands and wives are literally fighting. And then they're coming in and praying, and we're believing God to pour out his power and spirit. The very word of God says that if we, as husbands and wives, are not in unity, God's spirit is quenched. And if we, as a church, are not in unity, the Spirit of God is quenched. So a church may have a prayer meeting, but there's no presence and there's no power of God. And I would rather have the power of God in a prayer meeting than have a prayer meeting simply to say, I have one. Okay? And so I love prayer meetings, and we're going to have some prayer meetings coming up to the revival meeting. But just like the men... And I, when we went off to the prayer advance, we just sat down and took some time. I got alone with God and we got real with God. Prayer meeting is not an information meeting. It's a time to seek God and get earnest and honest with God. And it's based really on our personal walk with God we've already had before we got there. The Bible says that they had prayed with fasting. I wonder if, if we uh, asked today how many of us have fasted in the last year. If there would be any more than two hands that go up. I know two of us in the room have at least fasted in the last year. When's the last time you fasted? I'm talking about fasting to seek the will of God. Maybe three of us, but I strongly doubt if there will be four or five of us that have prayed and fasted. Fasted, literally skipping several meals to seek the face of God. Not because we're sick, not because we have the coronavirus, but because we want to seek God. Fasting in prayer. You see in this passage, they had a dependence upon God. Look, it doesn't matter as much to God, all the externals, if our hearts are not internally right with God. That's what God wants. And so God's looking for the internals. And what you're seeing God's doing at our church is God is helping us as a church to grow together and to seek to follow God together. And God led in this passage the pastor's and God has led in the past generations gone by. And he's still able to lead them in this generation. Uh, didn't, it says they commended them to the who? Lord on whom they believed. They left and they let God take control. You know what we do sometimes today? We leave and we want to still be in control. We we. Pray in, maybe you've done this, we, maybe, we pray in a leader and we believe God to work and then we want to manipulate the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, please, and we, and we influence and we challenge. And my friend, um, the leader has to follow God, not the manipulation. And when somebody wants to change my opinion on something, they want to uh, manipulate me a little bit, I have to seek God. And if it's what God told me to do, and there's no clear evidence that God told them it. I have to follow God. You understand? And so, yes, it's a time of heart searching, but there has to be a clear dependence upon God. What would happen if we simply prayed and believed God to guide the elders in our churches? In faith, believing God to guide, and then we got out of the way and let God guide. We said, Lord, I want you to lead. This is your church, isn't it? Who's the head of the church? Jesus, right? I'm the head of the church. So they ordained elders, and then they said, Lord, you lead the elder. I need guidance. 
Solomon needed guidance. The wisest man on the earth needed guidance. We all need guidance, my friend. And a local church has a clear dependence on God, but a dependence upon God that God will lead the leader and those other leaders that are established in the church. And in, in faith, we have to believe, in a biblical church, we have to believe God to do what God said he would do. That's the beautiful thing. When God does what he said he would do, it's a beautiful thing. That's faith. See, faith comes out when we trust and we believe God. In closing, I want to share with you one illustration from the word of God. Do you remember it? Children of Israel getting ready to go in the promised land. They had seen the very blessings of God. They saw the fruit. They picked up a fruit that was a, 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 a clump of grapes that was so large that they had to have two men to hold it and carry it. They enjoyed that journey. They walked back to the congregation of the children of Israel. They brought up all their fruits that they had carried from the land, all the goods of the land. They had not seen things like this for years. And then they started to weep. They started to cry. I saw a giant. I saw a governor that gave an order that I didn't like. <laughs> I saw a giant, and they were so afraid of the giants. I saw a leader of a nation north of us. Uh, right? I mean, they were afraid, okay? They were afraid. And they were so afraid that only two of them had the courage to stand up and say, no, we're going to go. But ten of them said, we can't go. Now, they had a written promise of God that they could have victory. Do you have a written promise of God? We've got a lot of them right here. His word won't return void. He that winneth souls is wise. We have so many promises in the word of God, so many commands in the word of God. They that go forth and weep bearing precious seed shall come forth doubtless rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. We have these promises from God's word that if we'll just go and tell people, the Lord will do the work. But yet, they were so filled with unbelief, so filled of unbelief, that they led these millions of people to start a crying sob session. Can you imagine trying, I, I think uh, if you want some humor, try to watch the, pre, the prime minister right, of uh, Canada try to shut down that Congress meeting. He couldn't do it. Okay? He couldn't do it. Just a couple hundred people, he couldn't do it. Why? Because he lost control because he opened his mouth and said something he shouldn't have said, discriminating against the Jewish people, which if you read history, that's probably not a wise, way, wise place to start. And, uh, and, and you know, you watch that happen. One man couldn't control a couple hundred. In the biblical text, millions of people were complaining. We can't go. We can't go. We can't go. They were looking at all the fruits that they had gathered from the land. They were literally looking at the blessings that were in this new country. They were sitting in the desert eating dust. And they were crying about going to get the treasures. That's crazy, isn't it? But that's the way we are as humans. But I thank God for two men who had faith. Now, it took 40 years. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And all the people who had unbelief, what happened to them? They died. I tell you, if you or I have unbelief, we'll stop the work of God. And it will take a while for it to die. You will see this in local churches. That sometimes that will happen. There will be a lack of a dependence upon God and the leader God sent. And the church will wander in the wilderness for decades and you will watch people die and die and die until all those who have unbelief leave. And then the place will grow. My friend, that's the way it is. 
If we have unbelieving hearts, we hinder the very work of God. So what makes a, a church biblical? It's a church that's filled with people who are clearly depending upon God. Clearly following God, following his word, trusting the Bible. Will you be part of a biblical church? Will you commit to help one? Will you commit to cause the vision that God has given to flourish? And that's what we need to strive together to do. To seek to cause the vision that God's given us to flourish. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Ask God to work in our hearts. Ask God to move this morning that we might follow his plan for the local church. I thank God it's his plan and not my plan because if it was my plan, it would fall apart. It's God's plan. And whenever my plan falls apart, I just have to go back and get his plan again. And my friend, in, in, in your life, would you return to God's plan? And maybe God just wants you to be more committed to your local church. And God wants you to be faithful. And God wants you to work in your heart. Whatever the Lord's dealing, would you be honest with God? Would you take a few minutes with God this morning? And maybe this morning you just say, Lord, I want to help in my local church. I don't even know what, but I want to help. And I want to try to help my church go forward. And I want to help support your vision. And I want to have faith. And maybe that's just your prayer. You want to have faith to believe God to work in his house. And you would join together with me in the front. And you would just say, Lord, would you work in your house? Would you do what only you can do? We're believing God to do things. And all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Let's pray and ask God to work. Father, use your word. Work in our hearts. Lord, bless those who have watched by way of live stream. Encourage their hearts. And Lord, encourage our hearts that we might together seek you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's, let's as the piano begins to play, take a moment to do business with the Lord and seek the Lord. And as we seek the Lord and follow him and uh, we ask him to work in our hearts, would you come forward and would you just ask the Lord, Lord, help me to support the vision that you give in your word. I want to help my local church. I want to work and strive together for the faith of the gospel. Lord, I want to do your work. Lord, I want to do your work. Lord, you have a plan. You have a vision. I want to be part. And look, my friend, if God's leading you to some other church, I'm fine with that. I just want you to follow God. Follow God. Follow his word. Follow his way. Not the way of man.